This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Avocado Green Brands, maker of the 100% organic certified avocado mattress, which helps outdoor athletes get the restful sleep they really need. My wife and I decided to enter our first ever obstacle race, and so we drove up to Colorado, and we were staying at a friend's place the night before the event, and we were super fired up. Uh, First obstacle race and ready to have a great day. This is my Outside Magazine colleague, Sam Moulton, who learned the hard way that the most important piece of gear isn't your shoes or any of your technical layers. It's your mattress. We decide, of course, to go to bed early. We want to be fully rested for the race. But my buddy's mattress was this mushy, lumpy old thing. And we ended up tossing and turning all night. So we wake up in the morning, and I'm super stiff. I mean, my back, my hips, they're all tight. Uh, Same thing with my wife. I mean, we looked at each other and we're like, what happened? And we think it was the mattress. It totally wronged us. As Sam found out, a mattress that's too soft or that's lost its shape doesn't just make for restless sleep. It can mess you up by putting undue pressure on your joints. What we all need is a mattress that contours to the natural S-curve of our spines. An avocado green mattress, which is endorsed by the American Chiropractic Association, holds its shape while you sleep with strategically zoned back support. It has the just right amount of luxury and buoyant cushioning and easily adapts to your body's curves. It's ideal for anyone in search of pain relief, pressure joint relief, and critical back support. Sleep is so critical. You know, waking up refreshed without being sore or tight, I mean, that's just key to having a good event no matter what else you do. Avocado is a certified B Corporation committed to raising the bar for sustainable and socially responsible products. Learn more at avocadomattress.com. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. So, but listen, before we dive in, do you remember the story of my grandpa Mike uh, giving us red man chewing tobacco and telling us to chew it like gum? Uh, I do remember that. Well, uh, that grandfather, Grandpa Mike, uh, his name is Michael Roberts. This is a little weird. Yeah, my, my mom's family are the Roberts. Okay. If, if it makes you comfortable, you could call me, like, Grandpa or Pop-Pop <laughs> over the course of the interview, if that, if that plays well for you. Are, are you using any tobacco products? I know. So, that's how my conversation with Nick Offerman started. The fact that I share a name with his grandpa, which, by the way, was also my grandpa's name, probably helped me on my mission, which was to understand the ingredients that make up this rather complicated man. And I know what you're thinking. Nick isn't complicated. He's funny. I hear that. He is, of course, best known as the actor who portrayed the mustachioed, hard-ass libertarian Ron Swanson on the hit NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation, dropping lines that are so brilliant they get printed on T-shirts. There's only one thing I hate more than lying. Skim milk which is water that's lying about being milk. Nick also does theater and movies and solo live stage shows that mix up humor, biting social commentary, and song. I'm a manly man and I don't go in for smelling like a lady. 
I like a musk that's manly as the stubble on my chin. But, and here is where you start to see why I call him complicated. The guy is also an accomplished woodworker. He runs a shop in East Los Angeles that handcrafts traditional furniture and the occasional canoe. At one point, he was enlisted to produce and star in an instructional video on canoe crafting. My name is Nick Offerman. I'm a woodworker, but I've never built a canoe before. And if you're watching me now, chances are you haven't either. Nick is also an author who has written four books. The story he mentioned about his grandpa Michael Roberts comes from his latest, which was published earlier this month. It's called Where the Deer and Antelope Play the pastoral observations of one ignorant American who loves to walk outside. The moment we heard that title, we knew we had to talk to Nick for this show. And I figured I could use a conversation about the book to try and get a handle on who he really is and how he does it all. I find you kind of a hard guy to figure out. <laughs> you know, like you're an actor and a humorist who at times enjoys some, you know, kind of raunchy humor, but you're also an author who has this really impressive fluency in the writings of foundational environmental writers like uh, Wendell Berry and Aldo Leopold and John Muir, uh, and you're a kick-ass woodworker, and you grew up in a small town in a farming family, but now you live in L.A., and somehow you've mashed all this up to deliver this new book, which presents this really incredibly thoughtful take on a lot of big, important topics. So, it, it, you know, that's what I'm hoping we can do today. It's, it's I want to make sense of all that. <laughs> Um, I I can't wait for for someone to make sense of me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a tall order for an hour-long podcast interview. Um, But, you know, you're a creative guy with a lot to say. So I think we can just go for it and and, uh, hopefully something will make sense here. Let's jump to the middle of our conversation because that's when Nick told me a story that really helps us understand everything else. About 20 years ago, I, I was a, a skilled carpenter. I was building cabins and, and decks for people in Los Angeles. But then things started to go well in my acting career. And so logically, I should have then quit building furniture because my dream had finally come true. I was, I was going to have a career in the performing arts. But I had a very formative moment. I met my wife, Megan Mullally, who had just done the first two seasons of Will and Grace at the end of the 90s. And we met doing a play. We got together. We fell in love. We we, uh, moved in together and bought our first house in the hills. And we had a little swimming pool. And this would have been about 2003. And uh, she went to work one day and I was Mr. Mullally. I was working as a carpenter and, and occasionally as an actor. And I thought, man, I have made it. Like this is, my dreams have come true. Uh, I got it made. I smoked a joint and put, I had outdoor speakers for God's sake. I put some Neil Young on the outdoor speakers and went to float in the pool. And it lasted for about a song and a half. Uh, his early record, uh, everyone knows this is nowhere coincidentally. And somewhere into the second song, I just thought, what are you going to do? Lay around all day? Like, are you, are you going to become an asshole because you can afford it? And I was like, oh, right. The, uh, 
my my life, my self worth uh, is derived from doing something productive, of from being of some use to someone, and so. I'm so grateful because that kept me from becoming a jerk with like a yacht uh, or, or a person of leisure. You know, if that's your bag, like I'm, I'm not judging it. But for me, if I choose that path, I will probably become uh, an alcoholic or some sort of addict or like that, that sort of uh, uh, idle hands situation is not good for me. And so anywhere I can, uh, I love to continue to make things with my body, my coordination, my strength. As long as I have it, that makes my life feel so much better. So like helping my friend James repair a stacked stone wall on his sheep farm in the rain, in the cold, that's my Disneyland. <laughs> like that's sign me up for that. I will stand in line for the pleasure of, of getting something done. We'll circle back to the sheep farm in a bit, but first, let's rewind another decade to the very beginning of Nick's education and the philosophies that would help him realize the importance of his childhood on a farm in rural Illinois and ultimately provide the core ideas that permeate where the deer and antelope play. In the mid-90s, I was working in theater in Chicago at the Steppenwolf Theater doing this production of Sam Shepard's Buried Child. And an actor in that play named Leo Burmester, who sadly is no longer with us, but this amazing larger-than-life Kentucky actor, he recognized something in me, and he gave me a book of Wendell Berry short stories. Mm. And I read those stories. I'd grown up, my, my mom's family is still farming corn and soybeans. Uh, they had pigs till I was in high school. My mom and dad grew up on farms like three miles in each direction from the home in a cornfield I grew up in with, with them and my three siblings. So it's this very rural agricultural setting. And what I discovered in the Wendell Berry stories, I mean, I just was was gobsmacked by the respect, the reverence that he has for honest, like decent, hardworking, agrarian morality. My simple sort of boring parents who up up until that point I resented because they baked bread every Sunday and I wasn't able to get that cool shiny bread from the store like all the other kids had. So it, it was sort of a big leap, I think, for myself from from boyhood to manhood where I said, oh, my parents are agrarian. Like this foundation of decency and, and this work ethic and this uh, sense of respect for everybody and everything that they instilled in me is actually insanely like holy and, and valuable and they're incredible. And so it really was an epiphany. And ever since then, I've just, I've never been able to turn away. I eventually became friends with Wendell uh, and his family. And it was, I had my mom and dad over at his daughter's for lunch. And, and, and I was talking about the early ideas for this book. And it was Wendell who said, look at the conservation of nature, in quotes, through the lens of Aldo Leopold instead of through the lens of John Muir. And so he, so that 
sensibility was born of him. Because of, of him early on, if you start reading Wendell, uh, he, he tells you to read A Sand County Almanac and Harlan Hubbard and a lot of, you know, Wes Jackson, a lot of other uh, seminal writers. So it's all, it's all just part of my ongoing master's program, I guess. Right, right, right. Did you have like specific outdoor experiences that really pushed you in this direction. You know, you, you quote and cite that, uh, you know, really amazing moment that we, anyone who's read San County Almanac knows where, where Aldo Leopold shoots the, the she-wolf, right? And, and and he really has a life-changing moment looking into the eyes of that animal's, you know, the dying animal's green eyes. Do you, did you have your own version of a green eyes moment at, at some point? You Woke know, you it, it's... It's funny. I um, I hadn't put this together. I'm so glad you asked me this because in in my most recent touring show as a humorist, I do a bit about um, every year my family goes fishing in Minnesota. Uh, we used to do it for a month all through my childhood, and now it's down to uh, to a week or two. But if, I mean, my whole life we've been doing it. So that I mean that w- was where I most powerfully developed my my love of of boating and canoeing and fishing and just the woods of Minnesota are so lush and welcoming if you can dodge the mosquitoes but um I, I guess I was probably 11 or 12 and my cousin had gotten a pellet gun and so we were out in the woods with his pellet gun and in the in my my stage bit, I'd say, I shot a squirrel right between the eyes. Shot him off a tree limb in Minnesota. It's a pretty fucking good shot. And my cousin and I ran over immediately. I'd take a pause and say, uh, it's about a half mile, which is a a pretty healthy laugh in the show. (laughs) And I... Uh, sincerely, I started crying. Um, I saw this squirrel laying there that I had killed with no intention of honoring that. I just wasted a squirrel, basically. And it caused me to re-examine that verb. Like, up until then, to waste a life uh, was a cool verb from, like, a, a Charles Bronson movie or something. And suddenly, at age 12, I was like, oh, no, it's a, it's a waste. I have wasted a squirrel and I was devastated and I uh, that's and that's that's when I developed my own stance towards firearms which is don't tr- don't entrust me with this fire stick that kills things because I like everybody else in the world am fucking stupid uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a human being so don't put don't put the, a lightning stick in my hands because you know, even even with what relative intelligence I have, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and so for me, that I think was a huge moment um, where and, – and, and it's funny because meanwhile, uh, that happened to me in the middle of hauling fish out of a lake, cleaning the fish, and eating the fish. And so just – sort of all wrapped up in one in one uh, neat capsule was if you're going to if you're going to take a life honor it use it mm-hmm. uh, revere it mm-hmm. it's all and 
and and all of that stuff just played into it's my my the values of my family because I'm a jackass. Like my family are all literally school teachers, farmers, nurses, paramedics. They're they all live these incredible lives of service. And I was like, you guys are, are great. I'm a dancing clown. I'm gonna go to Hollywood. And so somehow the 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 marrow of of what they instilled in me really stuck. And that's why that writing just speaks to me. Read where the deer and antelope play, and it quickly becomes clear that Nick's awareness about how we use and abuse natural resources has only grown. The same is true of his relationship to the outdoors, which remains a critically important part of his life. And like so many other people, his connection to nature was strengthened by the COVID-19 lockdowns. One silver lining uh, about the pandemic is that a great many of us were able to do things like for me, I was able to sit in my yard for hours and during times of day that I had never done. And so I've become acquainted with the birds in my neighborhood. And I I started feeding them and I started photographing them and learning, you know, what, what kind of birds they were. Again, this is something that harkens back to Growing up in small town Illinois, there were nearby woods. My neighbor and I had a treehouse. And so whether it was hiking, I've always been such a, a sucker for a trail through the woods, whether it was on foot or on bicycle. Even in Los Angeles, I, I will bicycle. There are some wonderful bike paths along the river. And I have one that goes from my wood shop along the river to Griffith Park and so wherever it is, and, and for me, it's either on foot, uh, hiking, running, or cycling, it's, it's an incredible escape from the hamster wheel, from the rat race. And, and I'm substantially reminded that I don't need all of the distractions, uh, that, that I, if, I, if I go sit in my yard or walk on a trail or what have you, I'm great. And so it's a, it's a way that I can, in an almost church-like setting, cleanse myself, sort of purge uh, my humors, you know, release my anxiety, empty the trash from the, the desktop of my brain. And it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> it's, a, it's an incredibly green activity. For all those reasons, I, you know, I'll just, I can just go look at a tree for an hour. Of course. Staring at trees is even more fun when you're with good friends. This is what led Nick to take a buddy trip in 2019 with his pals Jeff Tweedy, the front man of the alt-rock band Wilco, and George Saunders, the acclaimed writer. We all come from very working-class backgrounds, but have somehow pulled something out of ourselves to find success with our creativity. And so it was just this organically formed bromance where we were like, hey, us three love each other. We got the, the fiction writer, the, the you know, rock star, song, singer-songwriter, and the jackass. I just, I always say that I feel like I am the little brother riding in the backseat of the, of the Firebird Trans Am with the two coolest big brothers that are like, check out, here's, 
here's uh, some Frank Zappa B-sides that you may not have heard that I'm j- just blowing my mind. So uh, it was would have been New Year's Eve um, 2018 to 2019. Jeff and I were playing a show in Los Angeles at this great club called Largo. And I was telling him about the book. And J- it was Jeff who said, hey, uh, we, sh- we should go – me, you, and George should go somewhere pretty and have some conversations that you could use for your book. And I said, I I would be a damn fool not to take that ball and run. Nick planned a trip to Montana that would have them hiking in the backcountry of Glacier National Park, where they had a close encounter with a mountain goat, and Tweedy took a scary fall on a rocky slope. But the most memorable moment captured in the book was a day of rafting on the Flathead River, an experience that left Nick with an enduring lesson. So towards the end of, of uh, my first, you know, hardcore whitewater rafting experience, which was, I just can't wait to do it again. It was so wonderful and exhilarating. Um, but towards the end, our, you know, the the cool lady uh, guiding our, our raft for, with a couple of oars said, here's a pretty mellow pool of, where, where the river is calm and deep if you want to jump in this, like, incredibly pristine glacial melt runoff. And, you know, we had been, we had been through, I don't know, a, a dozen sets of rapids or 18 or something, like, plenty. It felt like we had played a few quarters of football. I mean, we were, we were definitely smiling but ready for a nap. And... uh Jeff was like, I oh, know, I think I'm, I think I'm comfy. We were also already freezing cold, um, but it, on a warm day, so it was kind of that nice kind of freezing cold. And I, and I was like, yeah, I could, I could see Jeff's point of view. Uh, comfy, you know, is always, uh, is always good. And then George turned to me, and it, his eye literally twinkled. I mean, it, Peter Jackson could not have uh, created a, a moment more elfin. And, and George grinned and said, let's do it. And it was so transformative where I said, of course, let's do it. What are you thinking? Like, what, <laughs> when are you going to be here on this incredibly, the, the, the most beautiful place in the country, perhaps, to drop into a river? And so we, we jumped in and it just was uh, un. un indescribably delightful. It was so exhilarating. Um, you know, in this country, it's hard to find water that clean. <laughs> and so it was just an, an incredible treat. And it, you know, it, and it, but going forward, I, I, I think, you know, I will probably face questions like that in, in the years to come. And uh, I, I'll have no choice but to picture George turning to me and saying, you know, do you want to you want to live or do you want to take a nap? <laughs> we'll be right back. At the top of the episode, we talked about Avocado Green Brands, maker of the 100% organic certified avocado mattress. Avocado is known as one of the world's most sustainable and ethical companies. And now, they want to help us all understand our escalating climate crisis and what we can do to help. 
This is the idea behind their new podcast, A Little Green. My name is Christina Thompson, and I've always thought of myself as a card-carrying nature lover. But lately, I found myself asking how well I actually understand what's going on with our planet's health. Climate change activists march with a clear message. And what that means for everything else that's going on. This report illustrates a grim picture of the state of our planet. And what's my own role in all of this? Sometimes I think we might feel a little too overwhelmed or unsure about what's happening to really make a difference. And I'm willing to bet that we're not alone. What do I need to know before I can take some real action? How do we make more conscious choices? Can individuals really make a difference? I think it's time we start asking questions. So I'm here to raise my hand on behalf of all those who care deeply about the environment. And I'm talking to everyone, from scientists to activists, all in the hopes of becoming a little more green by becoming a little less green on the issues that matter most. From Avocado Green Brands, this is A Little Green Podcast. Follow along at alittlegreenpodcast.com. And join me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For Nick Offerman, being a wildly successful creative artist has been the fulfillment of a dream. But it also has him living a lifestyle that can be at odds with his agrarian sensibilities. In his new book, Where the Deer and Antelope Play, he spends a lot of his words working through that, describing both his appreciation of his comfortable modern life and the internal struggles it causes him. I think that modern life is too comfortable. Uh, you know, I always think of the wonderful analogy of those those fat baby human adults in the movie Wall-E <laughs> that float around and, and are no longer able to, to function because they've literally, you know, had every task delegated. So they're, they're just completely pampered. I bristle against that. And, and so, and, and it's a funny thing, you know, I, I almost pray for a flat tire once in a while so I can be like, it's okay, guys, I got it. I, uh, I know how to do this because, because modern life is so goddamn cushy that I, I feel like it's, uh, I don't want to genderize it and say that it's, that it's emasculating or that I feel unmanned, but I do feel like uh, the primitive value of, of what we can do as animals with opposable thumbs I, I don't want that to atrophy. I want to, to maintain that skill set. I mean, it's it's funny because there's a scene in the book very early on when you're in an REI with Jeff Tweedy and George Saunders. But what you felt like is like you were like a kid in a candy shop in a way. Like you were just enamored with all this gear. But at the same, on the flip side of that, you were a little like maybe ashamed of that. You were like, I, maybe I shouldn't be into all this. Does that sound right? Yeah, well, you know, that's, I mean, that is kind of the conundrum at the heart of this book. That, that's like, it's wonderful that, and I'm, I absolutely am a kid in a candy store, whether it's at the REI or the, the tool store or the lumberyard. Like, it, we, it's an incredible time to be alive if, if you love to eat, drink, or, or uh, use manufactured goods. But the problem is, we're, we're, I feel like we get so swept up in that consumerism, in our fascination with the, the number of Osprey backpacks available, that, that we easily lose sight of where that is all coming from, who's making them, 
and and ultimately how we're treating our natural resources and so that you know it's it's sort of it's teasing at, at that question like can i <laughs> have this cute as hell arcteryx jacket and be a good steward of agriculture <laughs> nick's raging against the ease of our existence is how he ended up heading to a sheep farm in the lake district of cumbria in northwest england to put in some hard labor the sense you get reading about this is that he was desperate for a bit of legitimate suffering. Some of what I sensed there was a little bit of that hunger for discomfort, and that is what draws some people into the wilderness too. This, this something about not being coddled, not being worn, not being relaxed, but it's beyond getting something done. It's actually a desire, to, I wouldn't quite say to hurt, but to to be forced into your immediate senses by discomfort. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really this is great. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad to talk to you because uh I I will take this fodder into all my interviews. Um I enjoy prolonging my anticipation. So, for example, uh when I go hiking in the the winter in the mountains of New Mexico, I love going as long as I can and getting as cold as I can up until the point of, of displeasure, you know, it's so, so maybe, maybe I'll take my discomfort to medium because I know then I'm going to go inside. And I talk about it in, in, uh, in the lake in Cumbria as well, because I know I'm going to go inside and get some bean stew. And so, that that allows you, you're, you know, you're like, okay, my hands are cold. This kind of blows, but I'm 90 minutes from bean stew and hot tea and a fireplace. And so that, you know, within reason, like I'm not a masochist by any stretch, but it, but you, you can up your, <laughs> your pleasure quotient by like, oh, maybe I'll take my hat off for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> right. Well, what about, um, what I think is really funny about all this and just like wildly ironic is you end up being very much drawn to this farm that James Rebanks and his wife Helen have in, in England. But you find out about it through Twitter, which is just, you know, I was kind of like, it's kind of painful. I, I absolutely agree. Not only did I find James through Twitter, but I found him specifically through what what I can only call Wendell Berry Twitter. I mean, it it couldn't be more ironic. Uh, I think I think I follow there were there were one or two accounts called like Wendell Daily where somebody would was just putting up like Wendell Berry quotes. So I followed that. And when James' first book came out, a hit book called The Shepherd's Life, he toured America and he got together with Wendell and they did like a you know an event in a church in, uh, in Louisville. So I found, you know, I found him through that sort of messaging and I was like, Oh, who's this guy? And I just checked out his feed and he and his wife, Helen, I, I, I said to them recently, if you told me I had to get rid of all my TV channels of all my cable and streaming, and I could only keep one channel, it would be their social media feeds. He, he's called Herdy Shepherd one, H-E-R-D-Y, Shepherd One, and I believe she's called the Shepherd's Wife. The, their chronicling, 
through photo and videos and explanatory, you know, pieces about their lives, farming Herdwick sheep, uh, Galloway belted cows, raising four kids and, and like trying to rewild this, this ancestral farm is just incredible. I mean, I mean, just from straight entertainment value, it's, it's like the most gorgeous James Harriet book. But then on top of that, James is incredibly intelligent. He has a new hit book that just came out called Pastoral Song. And, and so he's a, he's a wonderful activist and supporter of this movement. And so it just, you know, I happened across him and, and we, we had a mutual like, oh, hey, God, let's fall in love. Like, God damn. And I, I mean, and it was so strong that I ended up, you know, <laughs> crazily going, like going all the way to his remote little farm and spending a bunch of time with his family. And, and now I, I own a couple cows in his herd and like, I'm doubling down. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going for full adoption. Yeah. I want to be a Rebanks. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lesson there that has to be recognized. And that is, I have to take my hat off to social media, which I agree is absolutely like there's so much about it that's ugly and negative, but it got me together with one of the greatest friends of my life. Hmm. And, and so, you know, it, it's easy to turn my nose up and be like, no, I'm a purist. I, I only use chisels, never electricity, but you know, that's that's dumb after a certain point because electricity uh, is pretty handy in a lot of circumstances, and so mm -hmm. it, I think it's a matter what whether it's what tools you use in your shop or what social media you use. It's just it's a matter of of curating something. It's just like your diet, you know. It's just a matter of uh, are you going to eat healthy, <laughs> right? <laughs> or right, are you going right. are you going to eat Twinkies? There's another conundrum at the heart of Nick's book, just how forceful he's willing to be about telling us to consider big changes in our lives, to maybe live a little simpler, to be a little more Wendell Berry. In the first half of the book, he's tentative about this, but the longer it goes, the harder he's willing to push. I, I would say in the first section, when you're quoting these big literary figures from environmental literature... I sensed a tiny bit of unease on your part. Like, am I, you know, like, I'm not trying to be these guys, which I understand. I would be incredibly intimidated as well. We get into this section and there's a point where I think your guard drops a little towards the end. And, and you really start extolling your readers to consider a different approach to the world and life and resource usage. And, and I'm going to quote here a section where you're, you're telling us to um, stop being passive passengers on this mothership earth. Uh, but instead that we need to participate in this journey. And it's a strong moment. And I, I have my note in my margin that I'm looking at here is, wow, he's really going for it. Did you have any hesitation about taking that kind of direct activist voice? No, I mean, look, uh, you know, you you asked me at the top of this conversation, what what's your deal, Nick Offerman? Like, how, how are you <laughs> a woodworker and an actor? And, and here's this book that's, you know... It, and and my answer is I follow my gut and and that that's why I lead with humility <laughs> because for that very reason like um, I try to I try to instill the book with humanity and say look I'm one of us we're all 
making these terrible mistakes in it, but it's understandable. Like if, if, if somebody comes to my front porch 80 years ago and says, this is a vacuum cleaner, you can put your feet up and this thing will clean your house. Of course, the human being is going to be like, great. You know, I, I, I'm sick of cleaning my floors. And that can be extrapolated into so much of, you know, from the Industrial Revolution to now uh, of the consumerist mistakes that we've made that we now are, you know, trying to put the brakes on the freight train of American materialism. It's hard to slow a, a freight train with like the brakes of a Prius, you know? <laughs> We're like, <laughs> no, stop this goddamn thing. And so, and so it's from, you know, it's because I open with humility that I feel okay saying, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm on this bus with all of us. And I'm saying, hey, let's consider this, guys. <laughs> right. Um, but you don't, you know, your most famous talent, what you're best known for is your humor. And in other moments, you really use humor to make some of these points. And one of my questions is like when you're talking about like us needing to change, I don't know, our relationship to nature or the land, like how do you decide when comedy is appropriate or when you really need to be straight with people when you're trying to convince them about these issues? Well, you know, for better or worse, I, d I guess the answer is I don't know when to decide. I, I write, uh, very organically. I'm frankly astonished that that my publisher, and that's not false modesty. I my, my editor will tell you I'm I'm always checking in and saying, is anyone gonna give a shit about this? Nick, you've been so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to make sure you try to get across? You know, if there's something you're like, man you missed this one thing that's really important. I want to state that, or I just, you know. Thank you. I don't, I, nothing comes to mind. I, I feel like, uh, I, I, I figured this was going to happen, that uh, you'd have, <laughs> you know, I, I just shat this thing out as hard as I could. And so you, you've just raised it up and made it, I, I feel so much better about it now that you've had an intelligent, uh, distillation. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, 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 it's my job. Nick Offerman's new book is Where the Deer and Antelope Play, the pastoral observations of one ignorant American who loves to walk outside. It's available at bookstores, or you can order a copy through Nick's website, nickofferman.co. The Offerman Woodshop is online at offermanwoodshop.com. That's where you can purchase a video of Nick showing you how to build a canoe. The shop also sells handmade furniture. The live stage recordings you heard in this interview came from Nick's 2020 All Rise Tour. You can listen to a full audiobook performance on Audible. My name is Michael Roberts. I am not Nick's grandpa, and I produced this episode. Our music is by Robbie Carver. This episode was brought to you by Avocado Green Brands, maker of the 100% organic certified avocado mattress, which helps outdoor athletes get the restful sleep they really need. Learn more at avocadomattress.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at outsideonline.com slash outsideplus. 
Outside podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OUTSIDEPOD. That's OUTSIDEPOD, all lowercase.